through February 28th, get a choice of offers from Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin, like up to 24 months no payments and no interest, or up to $1,125 off a patio door. Get details at PellaWI.com. Certain restrictions apply. See showroom for details. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. All right, maybe this is a very, very small sliver of light in a very, very dark cloud. Now, here, here's the story. It involves this George Webb employee who was shot in the face by these two losers. Um, they've now been charged. One's name is Brianna Johnson. The other is Brianta Johnson. They're both from Milwaukee, 20 years old. Now, according to the reports, that this, this is something that, that happened at a George Webb restaurant a couple weeks ago. According to the complaint, what happened is uh, cops get called. They go to the George Webb at 122nd and North. When they arrive on the scene, they find a 26-year-old man lying on the ground next to the cash register. He'd been shot in the face. Shot in the face. Police you know, start their interviews. One of the other employees said that there were four women <clears throat> sitting in a corner booth who were impatient and rude. They began arguing with the employee and the shooting victim because their food was not getting served fast enough, like these losers have somewhere that they have to be. But they're not getting the food fast enough in the George Webb, so they start arguing with the employee and the guy that ultimately gets shot. Ultimately, apparently, they're so out of control that they get tossed out of the restaurant. They get 86 from the George Webb. They're asked to leave the restaurant. One of the losers exits the restaurant briefly and then returns. The complaint says the four women then went up to the register, and one woman in a blue hoodie punched the shooting victim. Yeah, that's, that's of course, what happens. You know, you're 20 years old. You're not getting your food fast enough in the George Webb. You act up. You're told to leave. And so what you do is you come back and you punch the guy in the face. So one woman in a blue hoodie punched the shooting victim. The other woman pulls out a handgun and fires one round at the victim, hitting him in the face while he's lying on the ground. So apparently what, what happens is um, what happens is the one punches him, he goes down, and the other loser pulls out the gun and shoots the guy in the head, you know, while he is on the ground. All right, investigators recovered, reviewed surveillance video. The video shows shots were fired. One of the women then stops the victim, stops the victim in the face before all Four women flee the scene. The complaint says the police interviewed Brianta Johnson, who told officers that she and her group had a verbal conversation with the employee, that she retrieved her handgun from the truck, returned to the restaurant, produced the handgun from her jacket pocket. Um, Brianta Johnson stated that she punched the victim in the face, knocking him to the ground. She said that after the victim was knocked to the ground, she kicked him in the head. Um, she does not remember who shot him in the face. You know, I, you just you just look at this and you imagine. I don't know what they're paying people, George Webb, but they're not paying them enough to um, you know to, to put up with this kind of stuff. So anyhow, 
you say, okay, Jeff, I get this. What What is the, the glimmer of, uh, what's the silver lining to this? Well, I mean, what part of it is the restaurant worker is going to survive? Now, being shot at close to point blank range in the face, the odds of that would not be great, but he is going to survive, so that that's partially the good news. Here's the other good news. These two losers are now in jail on $100,000 bail each. Now, why do you say that's good news, Jeff? Because it is my firm belief that if this incident had happened, I would say, three months ago, there's no way that any court commissioner or any judge would have set bail at $100,000. My prediction is these same set of facts three months ago, maybe $5,000, maybe less. But here's what's going on, and I've talked to several people inside the court system. Now, the judges won't come out and say this, but the judges, I am told, are starting to feel the heat from it being now exposed publicly that one after another of these hardcore crimes are being committed by people who are out on ridiculously low bails. And I'm being told, at least internally, and I don't know if there's memos to this effect, but a lot of the judges and the court commissioners recognize that they have made a huge mistake by essentially going along with whatever stupid bail recommendation John Chisholm's office has made over the years, which typically... John Chisholm's office, in many cases, rather than representing the interests of the public in general, they want to be liked by the district attorney, by the def- defense bar. They want to be liked by the public defenders. So you've had these ridiculously low bails, which have been recommended. Of course, the public defenders, God bless them, their job is to try to get their clients released with the least consequences possible. The DA's office has been working hand-in-hand with them. And so you've had all these people who should have been locked up on higher bails because they're not likely to appear or they present significant dangers to the community. And what is ending up happening now is I'm told that a lot of the judges, a lot of people in the court system are recognizing that they have made huge mistakes and the judges are getting tired of seeing their defendants now out in public committing more crimes on low bails and you're starting to see things change. So, look, it's... It's a small sliver of hope, but if that is really true, that that is good news. And that is why it is so important for the media to continue publishing these stories. That is, when there is a crime that is committed, it's important for the public, I think, to know what the background of the criminal is. Is it a first-time offender, or is it somebody that's out on bail, as it often is, or some form of supervision from some other charge where they were slapped on the wrist or sent back into the community to commit the crimes. So in a particular case like this, I stand by my assertion, I don't believe there's any way in the world this would have been a $100,000 bail for what is an intentional first-degree homicide case. I think it would have been a lot less, but I think the court system is starting to feel pressure, recognizing that what they have been doing hasn't been working. So to the extent that that's going on again it, it's a sliver of it's a sliver of hope that that maybe just maybe 
you know, we're, we're starting to see at least a little bit of a sea change. Now, I don't know that it's going to affect John Chisholm, who's not going to get reelected if he runs again because of all the disastrous policies that are coming home to roost. I don't know that Chisholm even thinks that they're doing anything wrong in letting dangerous people out on ridiculously low bails. That's a decision that they've made. But if the courts, the judges who are also elected, decide finally enough is enough, and they're sick of people being out and committing crimes on their low bails, decide we're not going to take this anymore, that at least will be a good baby step. Baby step, but at least a good first step. So two of the four, I don't know what's going to happen to the other two who were part of this, but can you imagine? I mean, okay, you're at George Webb's, you get upset, not getting your food fast enough, so what do you do? You knock the guy in the face, and then you pull out a gun and shoot him in the head. Huh. That's that's what goes on in the mean streets of Milwaukee. Hopefully these two aren't going to make bail, and hopefully these two are going to be spending the next couple decades as guests to the state of Wisconsin. All right, when we come back, what can you say and what can't you say anymore? I'll tell you an interesting story and we'll discuss. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Wondering what 2022 will have in store? Join WTMJ on Thursday, February 17th. That's a week from Thursday for a day-long broadcast on the topics that impact your everyday life, politics, the economy, health, and more. Big issues from big names on the biggest stick in the state. It's WTMJ 2022 taking place next Thursday, February 17th from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Presented by Annex Wealth Management and sponsored by the Bartolotta Restaurants. Find more information at WTMJ.com. All right. I am fascinated by this story, and I really want to hear how you feel about it. The guy's name is Mark Lye, L-Y-E. He was a professional golfer, was on the PGA Tour in the 70s and 80s, generally. I mean, and he was... I mean, I'm not going to knock it. He was on the, the PGA Tour. He wasn't Jack Nicholas, you know. He wasn't Gary Player. He wasn't Arnold Palmer. But, you know, he, he made a living on the PGA Tour. Since he's he's retired, he played on the Senior Tour for a bit, he, he's got a gig as a commentator on Sirius XM. You know, Sirius XM has... Um, the satellite radio station has, they have a, a lot of dedicated sports channels, including one that, that's dedicated to golf. And he hosts a show on the golf channel called the, the Scoreboard. All right. And it's a, they talk about golf things and he gives his opinions and stuff like this. Okay. So here, here is what's happening. And I want to give you the context of what he says. He's talking about women's golf. And, and by the way, let me say this at the beginning. I love watching women's golf. I, I do because I, I, I like watching, as a golfer, I, I like watching men's golf as well. But I can't relate to the guys. I mean, I, I, can't, I can't hit the ball 350 yards with a driver. I, I just I can't do it. I, I can't hit the ball, oh, it, it's 190 yards away. He's pulling out his 9-iron. I, I can't relate to that. That's just not how I, I, I play. I, I mean, I, I'm probably a slightly above-average golfer, but I, he can't hit the ball that far. The women, on the other hand, who are incredibly talented, they don't hit the ball as far as the men. That, that's just, again, it's the difference between men and, and women and physiology and stuff. So I find the LPGA, the, the Women's Professional Golf Tour, to be really kind of interesting because it is a game that I can at least relate to. These, these women golfers are better golfers than I am, but at least a lot of times they, they play the course like 
like me would would play. It's like, oh, it's a 600-yard par 5. Well, well, maybe they're going to have to get there in three. They're not going to be hitting short irons into the green. So, I mean, I I find it to be interesting, and it's fun, and I kind of watch it. So this is the context that he is saying what he's saying. He's talking about how he he, he likes to watch women's golf. Now, okay, so here's what he says. And, and, you know, sit down. Hope, I hope you're not shocked by this. He says, okay, you know the LPGA Tour to me is a completely different tour than it was 10 years ago. 10 years ago, you couldn't pay me to watch. You really couldn't because I couldn't relate at all. It's kind of like if you were a basketball player, and I'm not trashing anybody. Please don't take it the wrong way. I saw some highlights of ladies' basketball. Man, is there a gun in the house? I'll shoot myself before I watch that. Okay, so he's talking about the WNBA, and he, he's he's referencing, hey, ten, and that's the context. Ten years ago, he, he didn't like to watch women's golf. He, it's now kind of changed, and, and he, he really enjoys it right now. And the example he gives is, well, uh, you know, it, it's kind of like I saw highlights of ladies' basketball, WNBA. Man, is there a gun in the house? I'd shoot myself before I watch that. So he's saying he doesn't like watching ladies' basketball. He was terminated for saying that. He was told, oh, you're just this awful sexist. And his response is, well, the fact that I can't relate to the WNBA does not make me a sexist in any way. All you haters should listen to my whole segment where I completely glorified women's golf, which I love to cover. Thanks for listening. So he has now, though, been fired because he said he he didn't, he didn't like to watch ladies golf. I mean, ladies basketball. Man, rather than watching that ladies basketball, I, I just as soon shoot myself. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So he doesn't like, and he expressed the fact that he's got no interest and doesn't like watching the WNBA. And for that, he was fired because of sexist remarks. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this is this right? I mean, I, I, I don't know. I know, for example, I like on Saturday mornings and Sunday mornings early, I like to watch English Premier League soccer. I, I got into it a number of years ago because I'd go to the gym and work out early and it was on, and I got into it. Okay, so I like to watch that. I have a couple friends who think I am absolutely crazy. They have no interest at all in watching professional soccer. And a matter of fact, one of my friends has used that exact phrase. Oh, soccer's on. Just shoot me. Okay, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Was this really sexist? Or, I don't know, is it a reflection? Are we supposed to like everything? And if the guy doesn't like watching women's basketball for whatever reason, and he says it on the radio, should that cost him his job? 855-616-1620. My answer would be would be no. I mean, I, I'm sure there's lots of, for example, people who are fans of the WNBA who have no interest in watching men's golf. There are people who, not too many, but there might be people who are watching the Olympics now who, who maybe they love to watch women's figure skating and have no interest in watching men's figure skating. Okay, if they voice that opinion, boy, I tell you, watching that men's figure skating or watching the, that pairs figure skating, that's like watching paint. Try just go shoot me. If somebody says that on the air, should it cost them their job? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. We discuss in just a moment. 
Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. I guess I was really struck by this because... I, I, I'm, all Mark Lai said is said I, I don't like watching women's basketball. Just, just shoot me. Well, I mean, I, I'm just I'm now wondering where where the, this this line is. I mean, I don't I, I don't particularly like auto racing. Okay, can can I not say that anymore? Um, I, I think when it comes to women's and men's sports, there are, for example, there, there are some women's sports that I, I much prefer. Watch. I would prefer, to, to give you an example, I would prefer to watch women's tennis over men's tennis. I, I, I just, I, I do. Again, maybe it's because they play a game that's more relatable because it's not all power and stuff. But I, I would prefer, you know, if you said, okay, Jeff, it's the Wimbledon finals, you can only watch the men's tournament or the women's finals, we're going to watch, I'm going to watch the women's finals. I, I just, I, I am. Same thing true probably for figure skating. So if I come out and say, ah, you can keep the men's tournament, okay, does that mean you, you lose your job over that? 855-616-1620. Peter and Delavan. Peter, you're on WTMJ. Are you going to hang up on me because I don't like Premier League soccer? <laughs> no, I, I respect your opinion, my friend. That that's okay. Okay, I, I don't okay. take it. I don't. I don't take it personal. Okay. <laughs> you know? the, re- the reason I called is my thought is I bet you that the that the people, the higher ups, the people who fired him, did not listen to the whole broadcast. Just heard that snippet and said, "You're gone," and yeah. didn't listen to the entire context. I just, I mean, because everyone well, is I guess, so reactionary with the sound bites these days. Yeah, I, I guess so. I, but I'm even trying to to look at the, the even in the the context, even the the sound bite is okay. Just I, I can't I can't stand women's basketball. Oh, okay, that's just a matter of preference. My my guess is there's I I know people who can't stand the NBA. I, I do. They like college basketball, but they don't like watching the NBA. Can you not say that on the radio anymore? Can can we not express? He, he didn't say women. The he, you know he didn't say the the female athletes that play in the NBA should there, there shouldn't be women's professional sports or that they're awful or whatever. He just said he doesn't like watching it. I, I, I don't know when did that suddenly become controversial. Are you controversial because you don't like the Premier League? For goodness sakes, Peter. <laughs> yeah, no, no, thanks. I'm not. No, th- thanks for the call. <laughs> yeah. I, I appreciate it, and, and I and I respect that. I mean, I again, I, I'm I'm just wondering whether I'm going to get memos afterwards because I said I'd rather watch women's tennis than I'd watch men's tennis. I I, I actually am I going to get letters or complaints because I said that I, I actually in many respects I prefer watching you know all things being equal. I prefer why I prefer maybe to watch women's golf because I can relate again more to it. A number of people are texting in saying that. I just you you wonder how far this cancel culture is you know going to you know going to go in, in this regard so it's now you lose your job because you're perceived as being a sexist because you you don't like watching a particular you know sport of one given gender well okay i mean where, where do we end up drawing the line well mark lie is out at serious i guess i i think Based on what we know so far, this is just a complete and total overreaction. And I don't understand how you can hire people to give opinions. You know, you're, you're doing a show. You're supposed to give opinions. And what he was trying to do, he's a golf commentator. He was trying to talk about how, hey, in the last 10 years, he thinks women's golf has gotten a lot, lot better. And he was trying to applaud it for that and using the example of a women's sport that he doesn't enjoy watching. All right, boom, he, he's gone. 
And don't send me letters saying, how can you not like auto racing? Sorry, I just don't like auto racing. doesn't matter if there's women driving the cars or men driving the cars. It's just not something that floats my boat. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. The big game is this weekend. Why not celebrate with a pizza prize pack from Palermo's? Try saying that three times fast. Pizza prize pack from Palermo's. Tune into Wisconsin's Afternoon News all week for your chance to win. And even if you don't win, you can serve restaurant-quality pizza at home while you enjoy the big game. Get Connie's Frozen Pizza, two for 10 bucks at your local pick-and-save or Metro Market. All right. Neil Young. Back in the news. Everybody knows Neil Young, Canadian musician. Biggest years were probably in the late 60s, early 70s as a solo artist. He was also part of Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. But but he's had staying power. Neil Young has been around for, you know, again, all that time, and he's still touring, you know, still making records. Got to give him a lot of credit for that. Neil Young, big-time lefty. In the news over the last couple weeks because he went to Spotify. Spotify is, of course, the largest streaming service in the world. And he said he was upset with the Joe Rogan podcast. Joe Rogan, a podcaster who was paid a hundred, um, what, a hundred million bucks to, to do his podcasts exclusively on Spotify. Now, Joe Rogan is, he's really not a conservative. I, I wouldn't describe him as that. He's, I would say he's liberal, libertarian, but, but he's done podcasts where he's, he's He's questioned, he's questioned the conventional wisdom about COVID. I mean, how, how dare you, you do that? You're spreading COVID misinformation. Matter of fact, maybe later on we'll, we'll talk about these new studies that said, you know, all those things that we knew that at the beginning of COVID you had to do the lockdowns. And now there's all these studies out that are suggesting maybe that those lockdowns didn't accomplish anything. But, but you know, he- heaven forbid that you should go against conventional wisdom. So anyhow, you know, Neil Young said, all right, as, as long as Joe Rogan is on Spotify I'm not going to be on Spotify. And a handful of other musicians have, have left as well. And Spotify has decided, okay, well, we're, we're going to stick with Joe Rogan. Now, I don't care about Joe Rogan one way or, or the other. I'm not on Spotify. I, 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 I'm not a regular listener of his podcast or anything else. But to me, it's just a business decision. Spotify decided that Neil Young was less important to them than, than Joe Rogan. All right, well, well, Neil Young hasn't just been satisfied with pulling his music off. I think clearly enjoying his, his latest 15 minutes of fame, Neil, Neil Young is now giving career advice to employees at, at Spotify. So here's what he, he's done. He, he's now decided it's not just Joe Rogan that's the problem. But the other problem is the Spotify CEO, a guy named Daniel Eck. And, and Daniel Eck was the guy who was in the middle of this, who has refused to pull off the, the Rogan podcasts at the end of the day. So here's what Neil Young says. To the musicians and creators in this world, I say this. You must be able to find a better place than Spotify to be the home of your art. To the workers at Spotify... I say Daniel Eck, that's the CEO, is your problem, not Joe Rogan. Eck pulls the string. Get out of the place before, um, okay, let me see. Get out of the place before he strangles your creativity. 
Um, get out of the place. Okay. To the workers at Spotify, I say Daniel Eck is your big problem, not Joe Rogan. Eck pulls the string. Get out of that place before it eats up your soul. The only goals stated by Eck are about numbers, not art, not creativity. You must be able to find a better place than Spotify to be the home of your art. All right. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So Neil Young is now ratcheting this up. It's not enough to make your, your own statement saying, I don't want to have my music on on this this streaming service that you know I, I share an identity with somebody like Joe Rogan. But now it, it's got to be more than that. I also don't like the CEO who's decided that Joe Rogan is more important than I am. So here's my message to Spotify workers. Leave. It's going to strangle your soul. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Neil Young is entitled to his opinion. But for workers at Spotify to have a multi-millionaire, probably with a net worth of over $200 million, telling you you should quit your job. All right. Should anybody pay any attention to what Neil Young has to say with regard to employment advice? And should workers at Spotify decide, you know what, Neil is correct. I love my job, making a good amount of money, but Neil is right. I, I got to go. 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Would anybody in their right mind listen to Neil Young's advice about employment? And by the way, I didn't hear Neil Young offering to make mortgage payments or car payments or cell phone payments for anybody who might quit Spotify based on his advice. 855-616-1620. Now, I know basketball players objected sometimes when, when they thought people said that their idea should be just shut up and dribble. Well, when it comes to you know Neil Young, should the response be, oh, just shut up and play your music? 855-616-1620. We discuss. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. I'm just, I'm trying to imagine somebody who works at Spotify, who's who's being I mean well well paid, got benefits and stuff, who goes home to their spouse and says, "Honey, I, I just I quit today." And what do you mean you you quit today? Well, Neil Young, he he told me I should get out because he doesn't like the CEO, and, and he says that it's going to just eat up my soul. So I quit my job. Can you imagine having that that conversation? Because some aging hippie, who by the way, as one of our texters just pointed out, just sold fifty percent of his catalog last year for like who's got a net worth of a couple hundred million dollars. Yeah, but he. He can tell those workers, oh, just just leave. I, I don't like that. Now, look, if Neil Young or any artist, Joni Mitchell or whatever, if any of these aging hippies decide that they want to pull their music off of a particular music service, I think they have the right to do it. They have the right to forego the income stream from that. That is their opinion. I will not criticize them for doing that. At the same time, to then take that next step and say, not only do I not want to be associated with this, but I want to encourage people all right, I just you got to agree with me here. So you know, um, go go leave your job. <laughs> Who would do something like this, Jeff? It must be nice to dole out unsolicited advice when one is independently wealthy. Um, I'm not a Neil Young fan, so maybe I'm biased. But how about keeping your opinion to yourself and just keep playing your music if you 
most. Jeff, he should shut up and play his music and donate, you know, half of his money to Meals on Wheels. Um, Jeff, when are any of these celebrities going to realize that no one cares what they think? <laughs> I think there's there's an, an element of that. You know, the Neil Young's best song is probably most known song is probably Southern Man, and you know, there's a line that says, you know, Southern Man don't need him around anyhow. Well, maybe the, the truth is, in 2022, people really don't need Neil Young around to the extent that he's going to tell you how to live your life. This is one of the things that's always frustrated me about the celebrity culture, where you, you have the, these artists who have who have given ta- who have talents. I like Neil Young. I like some. I like the tunes, particularly the ones from the, like the '60s and, and the '70s. I like the tunes, but this idea that okay, because I'm good at doing this, gives me the right to preach to people, including. Okay, leave your job. Really? You're going to tell people to leave their job? Mike in Illinois. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? Good. What do you think? Yeah, I, as I was saying to the screener, it, it really it never ceases to amaze me that these many of these far-left people are doing quite well financially. And, you know, for Neil Young to say that, he, it, it kind of shows that he's somewhat out of touch. I mean... I would never compromise my ideals to work anywhere, but um, for him to kind of say that, and I'm sure Spotify does plenty of good things too, but, you know, look, you look at people like him, um, and I love Bruce Springsteen too, but he can be a little bit preachy. Um, You know, Black Lives Matter, my God, the stuff that was exposed with them, mansions living in. um, I just, you know, some of these far left people are living very large off the system that they criticize. Well, thanks for the call, Mike. You you raise an interesting point. I mean, Neil Young has certainly done very, very well off of the capitalistic system. And it's very, very easy for somebody like Neil Young. Like I said, I I think I saw somewhere the estimate his net worth is 200 million bucks or or whatever. It's very, very easy when you're rich, famous, and you fly around in private jets and you've got houses all over. It's very, very easy to tell us little people what what you should do well you know don't you realize that this is this 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 company that you're working for is just absolutely awful because they've chosen joe rogan over me and, and so what you need to do is you need to get out of the, the problem is is the ceo that would be the the guy that's you know ultimately writing the paychecks that people are getting and stuff you you should just leave and go somewhere else i think my response would be well okay mr young that that, that sounds great i tell you what i think it's going to take me six months to 12 months to get as good a job how much money are you going to give me i'll be more than willing to live leave spotify just write me that check and if you'll excuse me i want to wait till that check clears i'll, I'll give me a year salary benefits and all that stuff and then, then i'll go look for another job but put your money where your mouth is if you're going to say things like that i just i, I just some of these performers you really, you just kind of shake your head because clearly Neil Young is hacked off that Spotify has chosen Joe Rogan over him. And so he's decided to try to encourage an employee revolt at Spotify. You go, Neil. Um, it, it is just amazing how, like I say, these these people who, for many cases, their their highlight, the best part of their lives was like the, the 60s and 70s, are now just struggling desperately to try to rekindle that. Let's leave Spotify because they chose Joe Rogan over me. That That's not exactly, hey, let's get out of Vietnam. But Neil Young probably doesn't care. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. 
This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff, I'm a longtime fan of Neil Young, but I think old age might be getting the best of him. I agree with him that Joe Rogan sometimes does broadcasts that border on irresponsible. But Neil really needs to just stop with the Spotify criticism. Well, this isn't just let, let's criticize Spotify. This is now that next step saying to Spotify employees, you should quit. You know, you I, I've pulled my music off of Spotify. You should follow suit and you should quit. Well, okay, like I say, this is one of those where Neil Young's worth hundreds of millions of dollars. It's easy for him to say, okay, I'm going to give up this revenue stream. And by the way, I sold, you know, the rights to my music catalog, you know, a year or two ago. So I, I'm rolling in all the dough. I need, have more money than I could ever spend in three lifetimes. But, you know, you, you little people that are working for Spotify, stand up, you know, and, and head out. <clears throat> yeah, thanks, Neil. Keep your advice to yourself. You know, we, we've talked a couple times about... Uh, if you want to know what songs we're talking about, CEOs, Peloton. Now, two years ago, at the start of the pandemic, Peloton was the, the hottest thing going. You know, Peloton makes the really high-end exercise bikes, and, and I don't I don't mean to demean them, but I, I did a topic at the time. I you, know, you can buy, go and buy a really really good exercise bike for five hundred dollars. Peloton's charging two thousand dollars, which might be God's way of telling you you have too much money. But then they really make their money by getting people to sign up to the streaming services and stuff, so you have the different workouts and all. And that's okay. You, you you can spend your money however you want. Peloton, though. You know, we talked about whether it was a fad or not, and I know a number of people said, no, 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 this is going to survive the pandemic. Well, I don't know. Peloton has just announced that it is going to be cutting 2,800 positions, and amid plunging demand, the chief executive, the CEO, John Foley, he's gone. Um, he, he's gone. Restructuring is coming as the Peloton business has absolutely cratered. Peloton slashed about $700 million from its one year-to-year revenue projection. Um, they're, they're taking a huge hit in revenue um, because... Again, they, they thought this was one of those deals where they thought things would continue to rise to the sky, and it just flat out didn't. So, you know, just, just be careful. These are the types of things that you think that they can go on forever, and turns out Peloton was a fad. No knock for those of you who have it, but the, the company, ah, the business didn't work out like they thought it was going to. Let's take a quick break back with lots more coming up in the 1 o'clock hour. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Again, maybe a slight silver lining. I started off this program by telling you the story about the, the two women, and, and Mike was talking about in the news as well, the, the, the two women who are now charged with homicide in connection with shooting the employee at the George Webb restaurant in the face because the food wasn't coming out fast enough. So this is Milwaukee. What do you do when the food's not coming out fast enough? Well, you punch the guy in the face, and then you kick him when he's on the ground, and then you pull out a gun and you shoot him in the head. Okay, that, that's that's how we do things in Milwaukee. But both of the women who've now been apprehended, um, they're, they're in jail on a bail amount of $100,000. My point is, three months ago, 
there's no way the courts would have set bail in the amount of $100,000. This would have been maybe five grand, maybe, at least in my opinion. But now I think what's happening is you have the, the court system is starting to realize that by, by getting into bed, figuratively speaking, with the DA's office, John Chisholm, let's turn people loose. We don't want to keep people in jail. And the defense bar, and again, like the public defender's office, I don't fault them. They're, they want to get they want to get their clients out of jail. They and you know they they've got a, you know a willing party in the DA's office that was li- willing to turn them loose. But I think what you're seeing, and I'm being told this is happening internally, a lot of the judges are sick to death of realizing that they have been played by simply going along with some of these recommendations and stuff and letting people who are dangerous back out on the street to commit more crimes and significant low bails. A lot of the judges are getting sick and tired of seeing their names in the newspapers or hearing their names on the radio or television in connection with, with this. And so you're starting to see higher bails which are set, which is why it is so important, at least in the short term for every time that there is a significant crime committed and it turns out that the person is out on some form of, of release what that, that has to be made public and that has to be the lead story because you got to keep up the, the pressure if anything's going to happen which brings me to the, the story of the shooting at, at Rufus King um, what a week ago outside of the basketball game where you had the five people were shot well here here's the details they, they've now charged a 34 year old guy his name is Devin Job with five counts of second-degree, recklessly endangering safety, use of a dangerous weapon, and discharge of a firearm in a school zone. Here's apparently what happened. This is according to the criminal complaint. Police get called to Rufus King High School, 18th and Olive, shortly before 7.30 p.m., February 1st, for a shooting. When the officers and medical personnel arrived, no victims were found. However, four teens and a 20-year-old woman later showed up to area hospitals with um, gunshot wounds. Apparently what happened is the shooting started as a social media argument between two girls escalated into a fight outside the school in the parking lot while the game was going on. And of course, apparently the fight was more interesting than the game. Crowd gathers. What happened is apparently the 20-year-old woman while this fight is going on, she allegedly, according to court filings, calls her 34-year-old uncle, Devin Job and another relative to tell them about a fight involving a 15-year-old girl outside the school. All right? Hey, there, there's a fight with a 15-year-old. According to the complaint, Job and the other relative arrived, parked in the middle of the street near the fight, and approached the woman and the teen who are related. The woman said she heard several gunshots as her teen relative began fighting again and everyone started to run. Security guard at the school said he spotted several teenagers he didn't recognize run into the school prior to the shooting. He found the teens and kicked them out. Once everyone was outside, the security guard said two girls began to fight. As the fight ended, a sedan pulled up and Job and a woman approached the group. The guard said a second fight started and Job fired into the ground. Okay, here, all right, you're 15-year-old. I mean, I don't know exactly what the relationships of people are, but okay, there's this fight among high school kids. I know, here's what let's do. Let's grab my piece, and let's drive into the middle of this, and let's start shooting the gun. Job turned himself into police last Friday. Um, and it talks about the story I'm looking at on how the, the, the kids at Rufus King had a um, walkout, and they want the district to provide more counselors on school campuses to help students 
Americans cope with the violence they experience on a near daily basis? Well, I, I'm not sure counselors is necessarily the way to go. But anyhow, the, the ultimate point of this. So now you got this, this guy, 34-year-old guy, who drives to the scene of this fight with teenagers with a loaded gun and starts firing the gun. Um, he's in jail, $25,000 bail. Now, again, I bring this up because I firmly believe if this had happened three months ago, there's no way that bail would be 25000 bucks. That bail would probably maybe five grand, maybe three grand, but it's 25000 So, I mean, I do think you're starting to see this kind of sea change in attitudes where at least, I don't know what the DA's office is recommending, but at least where the people who set bail, whether it's the court commissioners or judges, they're recognizing that what they've been doing for the last several years is not working and, in fact, is making this community a lot more dangerous. So a $25,000 bail, which is, I I have no problem with that, a $100,000 bail for people who shoot a guy in the face, absolutely. Would it have been that high 90 days ago? Well, we'll never know for sure, but I don't think so. And I think that's what you're starting to see happen. The judges realize they've been played for fools over the course of the last several years, and they're starting to say, okay, enough is enough. You go into the middle of a high school fight and you pull out a gun and you start firing the gun and you put five people, four or five people in the hospital or at least for, you know, treatment. All right, what's going to happen is we're not just going to give you your gun back and send you back out on the street to do it again. $25,000 bail three or four months ago, we can guess what it would have been. All right, when we come back, free meals for the wealthy. We'll discuss. Stick around. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. This week's sponsor for the Wagner Home Improvement Showcase, presented by Great Midwest Bank, is Kohler Services. Give them a call at 262-357-3300 or visit KohlerServicesWI.com to see what they have to offer. From inspiration to installation, reimagine your bathing experience and contact Kohler Services today for a free design consultation. All right. Now, you might remember last summer there was this huge controversy involving the Waukesha School District. Um, and, and it all started because of a very, very poorly written article in the Washington Post. Now, the, the way it, it works when it comes to the, the free student lunch program, and of course free is in quotation marks because nothing, there is no such thing as, as free lunch. I mean, it, it's taxpayer provided lunches, right? And the Washington Post article made it seem like that the these Waukesha school districts were the Waukesha school district was was doing away with the free school lunch program in its entirety. And, and that was never, ever the case. What they were doing in Waukesha is they made the decision that they were not going to extend the school lunch program to people who did not qualify for it. Now, the, the federal government right now says, and they provide incentives because, of, again, it's federal money to school districts to just give everybody free breakfasts and free lunches. That, that's that's the, the trend right now. Let's not 
make it about whether or not people have the ability to pay, kids' parents have the ability to pay. Let, let's not do that. Let's just let's give everybody the lunches. And the Washington Post story that came out implied that the school district was not providing free lunches to anybody, and, and that was not the case, that the school lunch program always existed for, again, the kids that qualified for either free or reduced meals. But the Waukesha School District had decided we're, we're – Mom and dad make $250,000 a year. The taxpayers should not pay for the kids' breakfasts and lunches. I mean, you make two hundred fifty grand a year, you make one hundred and fifty grand a year, you, you should be able to provide your kids with their own lunches. Imagine that. So anyhow, th- this got written up in the Washington Post, and then you had a, a lot of, I, I, I don't know, people who thought that they had the interests of the kids in line who were just peppering the school board members. How dare you deny kids? These are poor kids that can't eat, and don't you know that they can't learn and stuff like that? And, and the, the truth of the matter is, all right, any any child that qualified for the free or reduced prices would, would get it. But bowing to pressure, the school board said, okay, we're, we're going to reinstitute this. So there's a follow-up on this, on, and today's TMJ4 had this that some of the schools in the Washington, in the, in the Waukesha School District, um, are, are not offering um, the free breakfasts, and so there, there's the question about this. I mean, what's what what, what what's going on? We we thought you were going to f- follow the free meal program, and what the school board is saying is, well, no. When when we voted for this, we were voting to. Um, continue the schools that were already participating in the free meal program and extend it to everybody. But there's a number of these other schools that that weren't. And so we didn't tend to include the free meals in these other sort of schools. So now now there's the, the question here, you know, should they you know should they reinstate this? What exactly is going on? The district says about thirty five percent of the students receive free or reduced Meals, okay. So that that's that's what it is. It's about thirty five percent, and those kids still get it. But the underlying issue now, I guess, is back, and the board is going to consider this. Which is, what about that other sixty five percent? Should they really continue to get free meals at the expense of of the taxpayers? Our number is eight five five six one six one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. If if mom and dad make enough money so that they don't qualify for the free or reduced meals. Should the taxpayers be providing that to the kids anyways? 855-616-1620. We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, now, what ended up happening in in Waukesha is the Waukesha School Board originally we, we had the kids in the National School Lunch Program, and the National School Lunch Program requires families to apply for free or reduced price lunches. Um, Back last summer, as part of the pandemic, the federal government offers this thing called the Seamless Summer Option, which was a temporary pandemic-related program that pays for meals for all students, regardless of 
of income. And there was a controversy that developed about, you know, should we just let all the kids in or should we, you know, limit it to, again, the, the the free or the reduced price meals to the people that would otherwise qualify. Originally, the decision was, okay, we're going to limit it to the people who would otherwise qualify. Then there was this intense pressure, you're starving children, et cetera, et cetera. So by a narrow vote, the school board reversed itself and said, we're going to let everybody in. Well, now, apparently, there's a handful of schools that aren't offering the the breakfast because they never offered the breakfast before. And they're saying, well, we didn't intend to, we didn't intend to do anything more than you know we had before all this and now this has created the controversy 855-616-1620 dave in waukesha dave good afternoon hi jeff uh, thanks for taking hi. my call i appreciate it sure what do you think um hey yeah I, well, a couple of things you, you did a great job of clarifying what the program because that is where a lot of the miscommunication and the beginning of the pr disaster that came out of last summer um, in opting out of a program and opting back into a program. The Seamless Summer Option Program, and there's a number of acronyms being used here, and you did a great job of clarifying, was that it covers all students under this COVID program, under the umbrella, covering two meals, quote-unquote, all students. The motion that was voted on was to rescind the June vote and go back, and then go to the Seamless Summer Option. What is questioned at this point is it's an umbrella supposed to cover all students. That's the end. That's the end of it. There's some confusion because it wasn't in all schools. The problem is is that this was requested after the September or August vote to go to the seamless summer program was voted back in and then was uh, required the administration to respond to questions of what some of the steps to be put in place and some of those actions. That's been disregarded. That's why it's been brought back up. There has not been a solid answer for why, Mm -hmm. if it was not going to be implemented in those eight schools, then why it wasn't. Because the vote that the the board voted on, which was a 5-4 motion, was to supply meals, two meals, breakfast and lunch, for all students, period. Right. What, right. And then board members last night were saying, well, I voted on this, I voted on that. They voted on the motion, and that is also lost in this because of the PR disaster, because they, <clears throat> certain board members are getting caught up in the details of spoiling, and these are terms that are used, and I'm not taking them out of context, spoiled and addicted were phrases used mm-hmm. for reasons why they shouldn't offer free meals to all involved. So right. it's, it's a PR disaster, number one. Number two, it's a lack of follow-through and follow-up by the school district administration and disregarding requests from the board, okay, what are we going to do for the next program so we don't have this situation come up? And this can has been kicked down the road up until last night. Right. Uh, uh, so let, let's let's go to the fundamentals. And I understand it, procedural mess, and, and it, yep. sounds like, it sounds like some school board members don't exactly know what it is that they voted for. <laughs> You know, or at least that's what I'm, I'm hearing out of this. We don't know. You know, we, we thought we were doing this or that or the other thing. What do you think about the underlying thing? Should they be giving the free the free food to everybody regardless of income? Yes, because that is the program that the federal government offered for during COVID to get through to make sure that no one was left behind and no kids were left hungry. Now, the debate can continue about how you want to go forward with that. 
end of story is the vote was to was clearly to offer food to everyone. And then what the administration and district can do is go back if there is waste, if there is not a need at these schools, but to make a, a, a judgment beforehand, before implementing, it goes against what the vote sure. was on. Yeah, Dave, thanks for the call. I, I get it. I, I, I understand you're talking about the, the procedural issues and, and did they know what they were voting on and what did they intend to vote on? And I, I understand all that and I don't disagree with you about the PR nightmare. I guess I'm raising the larger question though about what, what, what should happen in a situation like this? And I, I understand, I'm getting some of these texts. We're talking about kids and access to food. We win when kids have access to food. To which I say, you know, really? I mean, how out of touch can some people be? It, it, let, let's, again, I'm not talking about the, the 35% of the kids who would qualify for free or reduced price food. That, that's not the issue. But the question is for people who do not qualify for these types of programs, you know, does the school district have an obligation to provide that how far does the government go i mean if you have again in my example if you have parents who are living in waukesha who are pulling in a quarter million dollars a year is it is it too much to expect that those parents would provide food for their children now i understand that there's some people out there who think no 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 we, we shouldn't do that that's not how you end up doing it i i don't i don't buy that welcome back to jeff wagner on wtmj you know, there's a, a special spot in you know where for for some people, and and some of the the folks that devise these these various schemes to take advantage of people over the internet, and and you you've you've probably gotten you know before the internet was prevalent, there would be the letters that would be sent in the mail, but now there, there's all the different text messages that people get and it's sent out, or or the emails. Hey, click on this. And they're designed to try to entrap people who might not know any better. And I, I matter of fact, I, I know a couple people, predominantly older people, who you know have been received these solicitations. Oh, this is the problem with your credit card company, or we're from the IRS, or or whatever. And I mean, obviously, the the goal behind these things is to try to get people to give them their their personal information, and then their bank accounts get raided, or their credit cards get hit, or or whatever. And I've always just thought, you know what? What sleazebags that do this? Well, there's another one that's going around, and apparently this involves the Wisconsin Department of Motor Vehicles, our, our friends at the DMV. And apparently there are text messages that are being sent to people purportedly from the DMV. And the text messages say something like this. Wisconsin Department of Motor Vehicle, DMV, requires you to validate your driver's license details due to a security upgrade of our system. Failure to validate your details may lead to the suspension of your license. Please validate your details below now. And then there's a, a link that you click on. And then, you know, it, what, of course, this is called smishing, SMS phishing is what they call it in the world of cybersecurity. And what happens is if you click on this particular link, then you go to what is a fake DMV website. Apparently, it's this is sophisticated enough that you go to something that looks like a DMV website, but it's really not, and then you're going to be prompted to enter identifying information or documents. And then what ends up happening is that, um, well, you know, you're, you're off to the races with this information. If you get one of these texts, do not click on it. It is fraudulent. 
delete it. Don't pay any attention to it at all because what they're trying to do is they are trying to scam you. And as often happens, look, anybody can fall victim to this, but, but let's face it, this, this is targeted people who might, might be a bit older and not as familiar with some of this stuff. Oh my gosh, my license is going to get suspended. Boom, here I, I have to click on this. Or I, cause, I mean, what, what could happen? I don't want to be driving without, you know, without a license. I don't want to have this invalidated or whatever. Now, of course, in the city of Milwaukee, that's not a big deal, apparently. But I think for a lot of people, you don't want to have your license invalidated. So you click on this, and next thing you know, your, your bank account is being hit, or your checking account is being hit, or whatever. So, you know, I wish, we did a better job of, of catching the people that did it. And I will tell you something. This is one where if I was a judge and, and they caught people who did this stuff, I don't care, white-collar crime, you know, crime of violence, whatever. You, you do something like this, you're going to jail, and you're going to jail for a long time because you're, you're just preying on, on people who might be the most vulnerable. So the people behind this are really, you know, we, we talk about, like, human beings as pond scum, and there, there's two kinds of pond scum. There's the... You know, crunchy green stuff at the the top of the pond, and then there's like the squishy brown stuff at the bottom. People who do stuff like this, trying to rip off people, predominantly senior citizens or people who might not be as technologically aware, they're they're the squishy they're the squishy stuff at the bottom of the pond, and um, hopefully people will not participate. So, as a public service, DMV is making this known. If you get one of these texts purportedly from the DMV requiring you to validate your driver's license details. It is fake. If you have any doubt at all, call the DMV before you click on that link. You will be better off. Okay, when we come back, who are all those masked people and why are they being allowed to go to school? Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ. Can't figure out what to get your sweetheart this Valentine's Day? Well, we can help. Our very own Steve Scafidi will send your loved one a personalized video message. He can sing, he can dance, he can even recite a poem. Personalized Valentine's Day messages from Steve Scafidi himself with all proceeds benefiting Best Buddies Wisconsin. Request yours today at WTMJ.com or text the word CARES, C-A-R-E-S, to 855-616-1620. That's WTMJ CARES, sponsored by Gruber Law Offices and Welkies, Milwaukee florist all right let's go where angels fear to tread the movement towards masks and mask mandates in schools appears to be reversing several you know interestingly the the story today is governors in four states all states where the governors are liberal democrats are now announcing that they are going to be lifting their statewide mask mandates in schools. Connecticut, Delaware, New Jersey, and Oregon. So now the, the, the timing is a little bit different in all the states. In some cases it runs to February, in some cases it runs to early March. And I believe in, in every one of those four states that are lifting the, ma- the statewide mask mandates, they're continuing to give local school boards the ability to I- impose their own mask mandates in school. But the argument seems to be we've turned, the number one, that the numbers of COVID, even with Omicron, are starting to go down. And secondly, the idea is 
we have to get back to some sense of normalcy at, at this point, and that means figuring out how we're going to live with COVID moving on because COVID probably isn't going to go anywhere. So the question is going to be, now that you've got you know the ability of, to vaccinate, now that people have had the options of doing that, um, now that a lot of people have, have gotten COVID and have recovered from it, the, the fact is, we got to get kids out of the masks, and now it's time to do this. 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So, so let's, let us, let us tee this up and, and let's talk about mask mandates. When you have governors from very liberal states, Democrats, all, who are now saying it, it's time to end the mask mandates, the statewide mask mandates, is, is this a step in the right direction? Is it time to allow the kids to go to school without wearing their masks, or do we continue this? And if we continue this, how long do we have to continue it? 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This decision yesterday, but by these four different governors, it's like I say, I look at a lot of the national papers, and whether it's the New York Times or the L.A. Times or the Washington Post, the, the fact that these liberal states are doing this with the blessing of the liberal governors is being viewed as okay maybe this is really kind of the return to normalcy here's a text uh, they're only lifting the mandates because they're going to lose the election in november how many of these governors are up for re-election this year that's a fair question i, I have to you know, look at stuff. Jeff, they've obviously gotten some brutal polls on this. There's no other reason the Democrats would have ever stopped with the masks. Okay, 855-616-1620. Let, let's tee this up. It, in the city of Milwaukee, now this isn't school necessarily, they, they still have their mask mandate that has no consequences. That's still in effect through the end of this month. Is it time to end mask mandates in schools, let the kids go back to closer to normal and if not when do you end this 855-616-1620 we discuss in just a moment this is jeff wagner 855-616-1620 which is the acunate mortgage talk and text line i I don't know i I think you might be seeing the, the beginning of the end now joe biden is insistent on keeping the mask rules in place to fly on airplanes or be on trains or things like that at least at least right now, now as we get closer to the November elections, maybe he'll change that. But I think there really is a, a sea change in attitude towards the mask rules as more people get vaccinated, as more people get COVID and recover from COVID, and as we start to re- realize that we're going to have to figure out a way to live with COVID moving forward. But you have Democrat governors in four states, including Connecticut and Delaware and New Jersey, who have all announced that they are going to be doing away with their statewide mask mandates in schools and Oregon as well, some sooner than later, but they're doing away with it, allowing local school boards the opportunity to continue with mask mandates if they want. All right. Is it time to start leaving the mask mandates, uh, letting them go? 855-616-1620. By the way, my answer is is yes. I I don't think there's any question about it. If you want to argue that they had a place six months ago, two years ago, you know we can have that argument. But as we, as more and more people have the opportunity to get vaccinated, and as we start to learn more about COVID and the fact that kids 
statistically really don't end up getting sick that often, I think it's time to start to resume that sense of normalcy. Rob in Illinois. Rob, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, um, I appreciate your sensibility that you gave just right now. It is probably time to end some of the mandates as far as masks go. But I hear some of your callers like making this out to be all like, oh, these hypocrite liberals, they just switch because there's going to be elections and stuff. That's the kind of talk that just continues to divide America on these issues. We got Canadian truck drivers now, like, you know, surrounding their Capitol building over this stuff. Uh, I appreciate your sense of logic uh, and some of the hyperbole that's going on now on all sides just needs to end. And it's so sad that we got people saying they're going to bring, like, gasoline to truck drivers in uh, coffee cups so they can get rid of these mandates. This has just gone too far. Why are people so wrapped up in these mandates? We're just trying to protect people's health, and maybe it's time. Now maybe it's time for them to go away. But we don't have to go to this thing like, I'm going to bring gas in a coffee cup if I have to. These truck drivers need to stay here. Okay, Rob. Well, thanks for calling. I mean, I don't want to talk about the Canadian. I mean, at some point in time, maybe we'll talk about the Canadian thing. And and I, I and again, I, I appreciate that. You know, maybe maybe six months ago you could have made an argument for the mask mandates. You know, maybe maybe three months ago you could have made an argument. But at, at some point in time, I, I think there's people that view this as, as almost a religion. And if you want to follow the science, I, plus I think here's the reality of what's going on here. I, I think people have had enough. And I think more and more people are starting to say, look, we, we want to, there, there's always going to be this risk that, that's involved in, in living life. And we think requiring the kids to wear masks in school is bad for the kids. It might protect them, arguably, maybe they get a little bit of protection from COVID, but, but it stifles all sorts of other things. And it's time to move that balance and have that pendulum shift. Now, these and, and I've always been in favor of, of local control on this. If a local school board, because, and this, this goes back to when Tony Evers did, did the lockdowns, and like I said earlier, now we're getting all these studies that are out suggesting that, that the lockdowns really didn't do anything other than just hurt the economy. But my point has always been, okay, you, you want to be specific. If, if you've got an area, you've got Milwaukee, where COVID is completely and totally out of control, okay, maybe it makes sense to have the the mandate. I don't know that that's necessarily the case, but it does. But you don't need the, these overall one-size-fits-all rules. Um, so I think that you can adjust those things. And maybe if there's a new variant that comes out and, you know, the mask is going to stop the kids from spreading that, okay, you can always go back to that. But the bottom line is I think it's time for these mask mandates to go. I think you're starting to see more politicians recognize that people have had enough of this stuff and again even if even if they do away with mask mandates doesn't mean that you know your kid can't wear a mask to, to school if your kid wants to wear a mask and you want the kid to wear a mask well okay you can still say wear a mask to school I continue to believe that there's going to be as we move forward there are going to be some people who never go out in public again without wearing a mask and, and that's fine if, if that's what they want to do, that, that's that's great. Go ahead and do it. But for others of us who are vaccinated and boosted and have had COVID, okay, well, you know, don't don't tell us that we have to wear masks. Back with lots more in just a couple minutes. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 
Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Update on a story that we, we talked about last week. The, the Greenfield High School athletic director who was embroiled in all sorts of controversies. The allegations were that he had gotten into a confrontation about a week and a half ago with one of the, the players on the basketball team who was black. And apparently, I mean, it's a little bit unclear, but the, the kid was outside the lunchroom trying to retrieve a, a, a cell phone or something, and the athletic director told him to get back in the cell in, into the lunchroom, and a conversation ensued, and on, repeatedly the athletic director referred to the, the young man as boy. And we, when we talked about it, I just, I, to me, I just, it was kind of like, what, what are you, you thinking? And it's like in today's day and age, while there are, are some terms that I think people are overly sensitive to, when you have a minority student to, to repeatedly call him boy, and apparently it wasn't just, at least in the context, it wasn't just an, an isolated reference like, okay, boys, we're going to run laps now, but it was, it, it was boy, and, and he said it in a demeaning fashion, and apparently after the kid said, don't call me boy, it then escalated, and he repeatedly called the guy boy. Our, our conversation was from the perspective of not whether the guy was right or wrong, but where do you go from here? And the school has made the decision that they're going to get rid of him, in part because they did an investigation, apparently, and there were other parents who came forward with similar types of complaints, not necessarily the identical complaint, but I think Greenfield decided that they they had a problem here and that at some point in time, it just became impossible to move forward. So I, there's a number of lessons in this, but I think Greenfield just realized that at some point in time, sometimes you just have to say, we, we've got to move on. And I think that was probably clearly the case and the right thing to do. So that's the update on that. All right. I was having dinner a week ago Saturday with um, a friend of mine who owns a car dealership in in Wisconsin, which one doesn't make any difference. And I was asking him how how this year has been for, for car dealers, because if you've tried to buy, let's just talk about new cars for a minute. If you've tried to buy a new car, you know that it's it's very difficult. The the I think I think the guy I was talking to and I, I he would he was telling me that in a typical year you might have he might have an inventory of seventy five vehicles. That, that that might be a little bit off on the number. He said now they only have thirteen. And, and you will find that at, at almost all, if not all the car dealers, that there's just they, they do not have the inventory because of the supply chain problems and the fact that, you know, cars nowadays depend on all these different computer chips and things like that. They just they're, they're not manufacturing as many cars, so there's just not as much of an inventory that's there. So there's not as many cars to sell. And so I said to the guy I was talking to, I said, I'm just kinda curious what Without prying too much, you know, what is this looking like for your dealership? And he said, well, actually, we're we're about on a par for where we would normally be as far as, like, the bottom line. Because he said, because, he said, even though we don't have as many cars to sell, what we're able to do is, is we don't have to deal as much. You know, whereas, and again, I'm trying, the, the numbers are kind of escaping me. I didn't write them down. He said, whereas, you know, normally... You know, we would 
only because of the deals we'd have to, to cut, you know, maybe we'd make $1,500 on the average car, if that was the number. So, well, now we, we don't have to deal as much, so we make $3,500 on, on, on the car. So when, when you add it all up, we're, we're not being hit that, that badly. You know, so we're, we're doing okay, although we obviously want to get more cars to sell. So that was kind of an, an interesting sort of thought about that, the idea that, and I've, I've heard that from a number of other car dealers as well, they, they don't have to deal. I mean, it, it's not like, okay, um, I, I'm at this Ford dealer and I want to buy the Ford Escape, and I, I kind of like this one that's on the lot here, and I tell you what, I'll give you $3,000 below sticker. Just pick a number. And they're going to, maybe before, when they know that, okay, well, you've got a chance, you know, if, if we don't deal on this car, you know, where you can walk away and you can go to the Ford dealer on the other side of town and you'll be able to find a similar sort of car and, you know, maybe maybe they'll take it. Well, now you there can't. The inventory just is not there anymore, so they're not dealing. Which brings me to a story in today's Wall Street Journal that I really want to get your reaction to. Ford and GM have apparently, recognizing that there is a shortage, and recognizing that it is a, a seller's market. You know, you, you want a new car, they're, they're not going to deal as much. Ford and GM are apparently warning their dealers, most of whom are independent franchisees. They're saying, if you charge above sticker price, be prepared for um, repercussions. Um, the Ford chief executive is saying that dealers who engage in this practice will face consequences, including losing supplies of future models. I mean, automakers set the manufacturer's suggested retail price when they ship the cars to the dealership. Dealers aren't required to adhere to them, but under business norms, this has been the general practice and expectation. Okay, so let's, let's tee this up, because to me, this involves some of the basic supply and demand things. Let's say that I... I I want a new car. I, I want to go buy that Ford Escape or, or whatever. And I and they've got one on the lot that fits the things that I want. And there's two or three people that might be interested in this. And let's say the manufacturer's sticker price is thirty-three grand or, or whatever that is. And I go in and I say, look, I want this car. I don't want to have to wait ninety days or hundred twenty days or whatever. I'll give you a thousand bucks over. MSRP. Right? Is there anything wrong with the dealership doing that? Now, Ford and GM are threatening them. There will be consequences if you sell for more than that. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, there, there's still all sorts of choices when it comes to cars, and you can buy used cars, or you can you know, try to get another year out of your car. But if there is somebody that is willing to pay more for a car, why shouldn't the dealership be able to charge that? Isn't this kind of like saying, I put my house on the market for $450,000, and I've got people that are bidding on it, and now somebody wants to offer me $490,000. Would we say to the homeowner, no, you, you can't sell it for 490000 should cars be any different? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is it price gouging? If the dealers were to charge uh, above MSRP, we discuss in just a minute. 855-616-1620. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. See, I, 
I just don't understand this. The Wall Street Journal says Ford and GM are very upset that you've got car dealers, which are independent, most of them are franchise dealers, that are selling new cars now for over the manufacturer's suggested retail price. Why? Because there's a shortage of cars, and they, they, they can get it. Ford estimates that about 10% of their roughly 3,000 dealerships in the U.S. network are charging above sticker price, and they're trying to crack down on it. And I, I guess I, I just, I mean, I don't get this. If if there is a shortage of cars, and you've got a car that the sticker price is $30,000, in my example, and somebody really wants that new car, and is willing to pay $32,000, why should the dealer not be able to say, okay, I'll take $32,000 for this? I mean, to me, that's the ultimate free market sort of thing. And again, it, this isn't like, to me, this isn't like price gouging that you've got the, the hurricane and there's no water and people are going in and charging $10 for a bottle of water. I mean, there's all sorts of places you can go for cars. 855-616-1620. Gary in Greendale. Gary, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, hi. Uh, well, you know, negotiation of an automobile has gone back as far as, you know, the Ice Age. You know, let's face it, people only feel good when they can negotiate on a car. So the MSRP or the added dealer market they're adding is just giving the customer a new point of negotiation and let them feel good about arm wrestling a little bit to get some money off the car. doesn't necessarily mean they're going to pay two, $3,000 MSRP. It just means that maybe eventually they'll wind up at window sticker. But and if, uh, you know, we all have the option of walking away, we yeah. don't have to purchase the vehicle at two, $3,000 over. But dealers are doing it. It's nothing new. Uh, at a dealer markup was uh, popular years ago. Harley Davidson did it when there was a real shortage of motorcycles and people yeah. wanted bikes. So it's still your option to walk away. It just is a new point of negotiation for the dealers to start at. Make you feel yeah, I, a little I, bit better. Well, I got yeah, Gary. I, I, yeah. Right. No, I think so. No, I mean, I, I agree with you. I mean, it's it, it's it's how this whole thing works. Now, I mean, look. Now, dealerships, I also think, have to take a big picture on this. And, and so, you know, for a lot of people, you go back to the same dealerships over and over again to buy cars. So if people feel that they got ripped off or gouged or whatever, yeah, I really needed this car. I needed that new car, and, you know, they charged me $2,000 over sticker. Well, okay, maybe the next time you need a car, because well, let's face it, the, the supply chain shortage and stuff, this is, I believe, it's an aberration. I can't tell you when it's going to ease up, but it's going to ease up at some point in time. So, I mean, I appreciate the dealers run the risk of of antagonizing people if it's price gouging. I'm just thinking, though, from, from my perspective, a, as a customer, okay, recognizing that these vehicles are in, in demand, if I decided, look, I, I want to I wanna buy a white fill-in-the-blank with all these different features on it, and the dealer said, well, I've got one that fits that category, but, you know, if you want this one, Jeff, it, it's going to cost you sticker plus $1,000. Like Gary was saying, I always have the option of walking away from that. I, I'm not I mean, I, I appreciate that I can walk away and, and the dealer can sell that vehicle to someone else. I mean, this is, it, again, I go back to my example with, with the housing. I, I put the house on the market for 450 and next thing you know, there's a bidding war and somebody's bidding $500,000. Do we say, oh, no, you, you can't take that $500,000? No, it's, it's, it's kind of the free market that's out there. 855-616-1620. Patrick in Muskego. Patrick, you're on WTMJ. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. Appreciate the call. What do you um, think? I'm in this situation. I just 
I just ordered uh, a new Yukon Denali. I, I won't mention the dealership, but I right. certainly knew when I went in there, they basically flat out even told you that they were the only dealership actually broadcasting on their website that you were going to charge or you were going to have to pay over MSRP if you wanted to get that new vehicle during that year. In fact, I had to order it, and I'm hoping to get the vehicle sometime in either April or May, but uh, I don't even see how this is a, a topic. This is just about the market, right? If you want that brand new vehicle with the features you want, you just, it's all about supply and demand. So, uh, it's going the on everywhere. See, I'm surprised that Ford. Yeah. NGM, I'm I mean, I'm looking. Ford is wanting to argue. Yeah, NGM. I don't know what they're thinking. Right. I mean, then make more vehicles and get them on your dealer's lots. I mean, I went to the dealer, which is at least what they told me, the number one seller of General Motors SUVs and trucks in southeast Wisconsin, and there's nothing on their lot yet. There's just a couple of used cars. That's it. So what are, you, what are they supposed to do? I don't get it. Right, and, and you don't, from your perspective as a buyer, Pat, you, you don't you don't feel ripped off. You you knew going in that I, I, it's a de- in demand car. I want this. I understand that it's a different time, and if I want the car now instead of waiting a year maybe and, and buying next year's models, I, I'm I'm going to have to pay more. You were you were cool with that. It was all disclosed up front. You knew what you were getting into. Absolutely, 100%. I mean, I'm a business owner of two businesses, so I wanted to have that vehicle this year for the tax deduction because our business is doing well as well. So, I mean, it's just I was willing to pay that price, and it was a different kind of market maybe. I could see how people are disenchanted, but, again, uh, the market is what it is right now. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. I guess, see, that's that's why I was kind of surprised to see this story as well, and it's in today's Wall Street Journal. Automakers try to curb the practice of adding fees to suggested retail price, saying that the tactic could cost dealerships future vehicle inventory. What they're saying is that, that Ford and GM, maybe we're going to punish dealers that we find that are doing this, and we think they're bad actors. And I'm sitting here thinking, I, I don't get why you think that they're they're bad actors. If you've got... If there's only one of a particular type of car in a particular market, why why shouldn't you be able to charge what the market will bear? And if that's five hundred dollars more than sticker or a thousand dollars more than sticker, shouldn't shouldn't you be able to to do that? Understanding that that from a perspective of consumers, they've got all sorts of different options. I mean, nobody says that you have to buy that Ford Escape. I mean, if or you know you do that new Ford Escape. If you don't want to pay what the dealer says, they think they can get somebody to pay. Fine, go buy another car. Go buy a used car. You know, go buy another. Go to another dealership. Try to find a different style of car. It's not like you're not going to be able to find cars, but it's a classic example of this. We've got the Super Bowl coming up. My guess is if you are lucky enough to have tickets to the Super Bowl and you're going out to that game in Los Angeles this weekend, all right, you, you stay at these hotels. My guess is you're going to pay three, four, five times what you would pay to stay in a hotel room the week of the Super Bowl than you would if you were there on, on a typical weekend in October. Okay, what is it? It's supply and demand. You've got all sorts of people that are coming out there. They want to take, they want the hotel rooms. So should you say to the hotel keepers, no, okay, it's the Super Bowl weekend. We're not going to let you charge $300 for a room that you might typically start a hundred, pay a hundred dollars for. I mean, it's just, to me, I, I do not understand why the car dealers are so upset about this, but they 
they are threatening. If you want the car this year with the supply chain shortage, you got to be prepared to pay more. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll find out what John McCure has on his mind on Wisconsin's Afternoon News.